The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Uh, let's get into God's Word and hear what He has to say to us. Uh, we are going to be in Luke 18, taking a little step out of the series that we've been doing for the summer, uh, Everyday Heroes, and um, just going to do a one-off, kind of celebrate, reflect on, take advantage of the fact that we've had this great week emphasizing uh, what God's doing in our kids. And um, so we're going to be in Luke 18. Now, most, of the, most of the time we tell people, especially adults, um, but sometimes to children too, we would just say um, this phrase, act your age, act your age. And um, there's nothing worse, I think anyways, uh, than adults who are acting childishly, childishly. Nothing worse than that, still hanging on to vestiges of their childhood. You know, the man, I'll just pick on men, because um, I am one, um, the man who just can't give up video games and still plays them like he's a little boy. Hours and hours. I'm not saying never play a video game, but you know, he hours and hours and going for the highest score. And Or the man who wears skinny jeans and flat brim hats. What, like, what is wrong with that guy, right? <laughs> or the guy who treats his wife like she's his mom. Something wrong with that. Or, or he, he hangs out with his kids, not like he's their dad, but like he's the little brother, not even the big brother. He's the little brother. And to that guy who's kind of acting that way, we all want to say to him, at your age, you're a father, you're a husband, you're an adult. At your age. And we would say at the outset of this message, affirm this as a Truth, maturity is a good thing. Amen. Maturity is a good thing. Yeah, it is. It's a good thing. But Jesus makes, in the passage we're going to look at today, he makes this shocking statement about the way that we come into a relationship with him in the first place. He says, in essence, if you want to be part of God's kingdom, if you want to get into the family, if you want to be a follower of Christ... Jesus essentially says, don't act your age. Did you hear that? Not act your age. Don't be mature about it. He says, don't, don't, don't act your age. This is in Luke chapter 18. And he says this, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And we're going to spend a few minutes here figuring out what it means to enter God's kingdom like a child. And this is so critical because I want you to be ready for this now. It's the only way to get in. There are no other options. It's so critical that we listen and hear what God's word has to say about the means by which we enter into a relationship with him. So let's read the passage together Then I'm... I'm going to pray. This is Luke 18, uh, verses 15, 16, and 17. Now they were, uh, they, uh, some moms, I guess, they were bringing even infants to him, that is Jesus, 
that he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let's pray together. Uh, God, uh, our Father, we thank you for what we've already experienced in worship here today. The energy, the enthusiasm. Uh, Father, from our hearts, worship that we hope you'll receive from us. And we plead with you uh, now as people who often complicate what is simple. And often confuse what is clear. God, we plead with you to help us see and hear and believe and live out what your word will teach us in these moments. Save those who need saving. Transform those who need to change. Challenge those in rebellion. Encourage those who are downhearted today. God, these things we pray knowing your word can accomplish all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? All right. Um, If you want to follow Jesus, here's what we're looking at. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to be a baby about it. Okay, you have to be a baby about it. Sound okay? We're going to go after that right now. I'll start with this. The message is simple. Uh, the message is simple. As Jesus, um, you know, we're in the middle of the gospel here, the gospel of Luke. As Jesus traveled and taught, uh, people recognize something very unique and special about him. I think that the fact that you're here today, or at least the majority of you, uh, the, the fact that you're here today is because you find in Jesus something compelling. Something unique that you're not finding anywhere else. I find it interesting that even those who reject Jesus entirely uh, can't stop talking about him. Even those who who would completely would say they hate him and don't follow him and aren't impressed by his followers. uh, They can't stop themselves from talking about him because there is something so unique, so special. So compelling about him. For the people in the first century, he was unlike any other teacher or leader they had ever been under or heard teach. He taught as one who had authority, the scriptures tell us, and not as their teachers. There was something that drew them to him. And as he was traveling around, there's an indication in the text, this wasn't the only time that this happened, but... Moms who had babies and small children, uh, they were compelled uh, to take their children to Jesus and to ask him, would you just bless my child? Would you put your hands on him and confer something on him that I can't get anywhere else? These moms were compelled because of something they saw in Jesus to bring their children to him. Verse 15 says, now they were bringing... ESV says, even infants to him. I want you to note that, even infants. We're going to come back to it. They were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And that's what we would expect. Most moms, the majority of moms, want the best for their children. Any moms here who want the best for their children? Just raise your hand right now. You want the best for your children? And um, if Jesus were passing through our town and you knew he was there and you knew about him, uh, you'd be gathering your children up and you'd bring your children to Jesus too because you'd want a blessing on your kids. They just believed that Jesus had something that would benefit their children. 
It was a very simple understanding of what they had heard and what they had seen. Listen to this. Get close to Jesus. Get as close as I can possibly get to Jesus. Get my kids as close as I can possibly get them to Jesus. I mean, if I were to end the message right here, wouldn't that be a great message? I just got to get as close to Jesus as I possibly can. That's what these moms were really about, what they were trying to do. It's a noble, noble thing, something we should all be doing. But notice now, these men that Jesus had picked to be his closest followers, to go around Judea and Galilee with him, to follow him and to learn everything about these men who would eventually be the apostles themselves, they just don't get it. As close as they are to Jesus, look what the rest of the verse says. When the disciples saw these moms trying to bring their children to Jesus, they rebuked the moms. Strong reproof. You don't belong here. Don't bother Jesus with this. He doesn't have time for you. They're just kids. He's got far more important things that he needs to be doing. The disciples flat out have it wrong here. Somehow they thought that the message of the gospel was more sophisticated than it really is. You can find in other parts of the text, we won't take the time to look at it all, but the disciples had some kind of mistaken notion, as did most of the people, that Jesus as the Messiah was actually going to set up in a physical way the Davidic kingdom again, that, that Israel was going to throw off the shackles of Rome, that this was really a political movement, not so much a spiritual movement that they were part of. And because it was a political movement, I and mean, even in this country where we have democracy, we don't let children vote. They don't really count in the process of selecting the next government. And that's what the disciples have in their mind. This is the next government. This is a Davidic king. He's going to help us establish the Jewish state again. We're going to be a theocracy. We're going to be under our God. We're not going to be under the shackles of anyone else. That's what the disciples are thinking. Kids, they don't figure in that. Don't waste Jesus' time with all of this. And so they they rebuke them. The kids should be kept away from him. They had complicated the gospel with their own ideas. The Apostle Paul captures kind of the simplicity of the gospel in Romans ten thirteen when he says, whoever, listen to this now, I mean, this is pretty simple, right? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What's the first word in that? Like whoever... Child, adult, mature, immature, pagan, Jewish, Gentile, men, women, old, young, healthy, infirm, rich, poor, doesn't matter. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet these disciples, they had complicated it with their own ideas. The message of Jesus Christ really is quite simple. About a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, we did a series called Gospel. And we said the whole gospel can be explained in just five words. You might remember this. 
The first word was simply this, God. In order for a person to come to faith in Jesus Christ, there has to at least be some starting point where they recognize that there is in fact a God. That makes sense, correct? So we have this starting point, and in fact we would teach that every person has that divine spark inside of them, this longing after the Creator to make life make sense. That's the starting point. And God wants us to be in relationship with Him. We have a desire to be in relationship with our God. But there's a problem. Secondly, it's sin. Our own sin has severed the relationship between us and our God. And so we are alienated from our God and we have no hope of recovering that. We can't pay the price for our own sin. In fact, we will, but the price will be eternal death, eternal separation from our God. So we have a real dilemma until we get to the third word, which is substitution. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, uh, coming to this earth, taking on human form, giving his life on the cross for us, sacrificing his perfect sinless life in our place. He says to all of us, he says to the whoever, if you want to be part of God's kingdom, you give me your sins, I'll pay the price for those. You have to consciously believe that message. That's our fourth word. Believe that message. Believe that Jesus Christ came and gave his life for you, shedding his blood on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin. Believe that and believe that he came to life again on the third day, resurrected to new life, and the resurrection power is yours. You just have to believe that. And when you believe it, when you confess it with your mouth that you believe it, God will give you life. That's the fifth word. God will give you life, abundant life here, filled with forgiveness, mercy, grace, goodness, peace, all the things that God would give to us as his blessing and then eternal life forever with him. That's the gospel. It's simple. The message that Jesus Christ gives us is simple to understand. Don't complicate it. Don't mess with it as the disciples did. These moms brought infants that he might touch them. Simple. The disciples tried to complicated, pushing them away, believing that that wasn't precisely why Jesus was here, but he was. So the message is simple. And then secondly, this, uh, the way is clear. The way is clear. I mean, could we say this? Could we agree right now that if there are any hindrances to the gospel of Jesus Christ, those hindrances are of human origin? Could we agree with that? If there are any hindrances, we've created the hindrances for ourselves. So the story continues here in verse 16. But Jesus called them to him. He sees what's going on. He sees the moms coming. He sees the little children, the infants in their arms. He sees the disciples kind of run out to them. Now don't bother the master. Don't come this way. Jesus sees the whole thing going down. Jesus called to them. Called them to him. He says to the moms, come on over here. Come on over saying, let the children come to me. And then underline this, do not hinder them. For to such, to such children as these, belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus says, do not hinder them. Now there's really two things going on here. I want to deal with each separately. We need to see kind of what's happening right in front of us. And then we need to see the message that Jesus is really communicating through what's happening 
uh, right there in the scene. So the first year is a message about how we hinder Jesus from uh, children from coming to Jesus. I mean, do we believe that as adults, we can actually do some things that make it hard for children to see Jesus in their lives? Do you believe that that can happen? So let's talk about some of that. A message about how we hinder uh, children from getting to Jesus. Four ways that we do this. Four ways adults hinder children from seeing Jesus. Ready for this? You're probably not ready for it. Number one, education. Education that does not have, it's not all education, because obviously we need to teach our children, we need to teach them well. Education that does not have a theocentric there's a fancy word, a theocentric view of the world. Choose whatever form of education you want. In this church, we have been affirming of a parent, parent's choice in education. We have people of, who homeschool, but we are not a homeschooling church. We have people who send their children to Christian schools, like the one we're standing in right now, okay? but we don't, uh, we're not a Christian school church. We have parents that choose separate education, Catholic school board. We have uh, parents who choose public uh, system for their children. We have people who choose everything, and, and we like the diversity of that. Uh, the uh, issue here is not whether you send your kids to Christian school or homeschool or public or separate. That is not the issue. In order for your children to have a theocentric worldview, that depends on you. Mom and dad. You are the primary educators of your kids. It's not just the homeschool parents that are the primary educators of their kids. Even if you send your child to the public school, you are still the primary educator of your kids. You've just delegated some of that out to some professionals to help you accomplish the academics of it. But moms and dads, if you are not involved, no matter what system you use, if you are not involved in the education of your children, knowing what they're learning, uh, questioning them about that, uh, challenging them in it, helping them grow in it, and then bringing Jesus Christ into it at every turn you can, teaching them that the truth that they learn uh, in the universe is, is all emanating out of the Lord, then you're missing the boat. If you don't teach them a theocentric worldview, you're hindering your children from seeing Jesus, whether you homeschool, send them to a Christian school. I mean, there are Christians who, there are, there are, there are adult Christians today who love Jesus Christ, who went to all of those school systems. And there are adults today who went through all of those school systems who have walked away from the Lord. The key is the parents. And are you keeping Jesus at the center of your home? Otherwise, you, you're hindering them from all of that. Uh, A.W. Tozer just said, uh, What I believe about God is the most important thing about me. What I believe about God is the most important thing about me. Everything else flows from that. We need a theocentric worldview in our education. Otherwise, we're hindering our children. All right? Number two. Ready for this? Media habits. Media habits that feed them a steady diet of ungodly stimuli. Some parents have no idea what their children are doing when they're in front of screens. Video games, TV, movies, the music they're listening to, social media, 
surfing the web, whatever it is, they have no idea how much violence, how much coarse language, how much sexuality, how many adult situations their children are absorbing through all of these media. And we're hindering our children if we give them this unbridled, unfettered access to all of this. We should not be surprised if children walk away and, and we've not curtailed, not curbed, not controlled, not monitored in some way what our kids are seeing on the web, what video games they're playing, the movies and television shows they're watching. So much of this is leading them away from Christ. Number three, friend choices that do not contribute to being like Jesus Christ. This is a tough one. This might be the toughest one you have to battle. Now this is not that they can't have friends who are not believers or from believing families. It is not that. But whether the child is a believer or not, I'll just say this with two of our children in the room right now, that in both of their cases, there were times in their growing up years where we made difficult choices to keep those two children away from other children. And in the case, in the case of both of them, they were coming out of believing homes. Homes that were actually professing Christ. Can you say awkward? Yeah, that's awkward, right? I remember sitting and talking to one of my children in a restaurant and talking through why it was we couldn't allow them to spend time with this other person, to go to their home, this other child. Decisions we made about education, where they would be educated, making shifts in how we were educating our children so that they wouldn't be exposed to certain peer groups, certain children. These are difficult choices. But I want my children to see Jesus Christ. Cheryl and I made decisions that we felt we had to make to to ensure that we weren't in any way just allowing something, just passively allowing something to happen. And thereby hindering their ability to see Jesus. So we made hard choices. And by God's grace alone, uh, those things worked out. Remember James McDonald saying many, many years ago in a sermon, a parents, you need to pick their friends and pick their music. You say that'll cause a war. That's kind of how he would say it. That would cause a war. And he would say, go ahead and fire the first shot. But don't passively allow your children to be making these decisions for themselves. They don't have the discernment to see through it. All right. You still with me? Education, media habits, friend choices. Nobody's walked out so far. Number four, activity participation. This might do it. Activity participation, dance, drama, sports, whatever it is. Where parents think, I want, to give my be- I want to give my best. I want my kids to have the best. Just like these moms who brought these babies to Jesus. They're bringing their little children. I want, my- I want my little kid to have the best. So I'm bringing him to Jesus. And we're saying, I want my kids to have the best. I want them to have every advantage. And so they're going to be in hockey on Sunday mornings. They're going to be traveling for tournaments every weekend. This activity takes priority over everything else. 
I know people who have left this church and basically are not involved in church at all anymore, though they profess faith in Christ, because they chose the activity, the drama, the dance, the sports, over exposing their children to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sad reality. We need to prioritize the activity. Of church. Let's prioritize the activity of the word of God. Let's prioritize the activity of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying don't be involved in sports. I'm saying you need to find a way to make that work. And still get your children in front of Jesus. The question I think we need to ask ourselves with all of this. Whenever these things are coming up is. Will allowing my son or daughter to do this. Help or hinder them in knowing and loving Jesus. Will it help or hinder them. In fact, let me add a fifth one to this. Uh, your lifestyle, how you live your life. The choices that you're made, making. I mean, I grew up in a, my mom and dad are here, and I grew up in a, it was not a Christian home. I would say it was a moral home, but it wasn't a Christian home. We didn't hear the gospel until I was in my teen years. Our family didn't come to faith until that time, but I remember prior to that time, not after we, we knew Jesus, but before that time, you know, my parents, kind of the standard for parenting was just because mom and dad do it don't mean you can, doesn't mean you can. Right? So things like alcohol and smoking and swearing and things that they would have done that would have been a part of our home life prior. You say, well, I, why can't I do that? Well, that's because you're a kid. Uh, wrong answer. Wrong answer. What's your lifestyle like? Are you making choices that your kids are going, because mm, they're not complete idiots, by the way, your children, right? Correct? They're watching. They're seeing it all. And when they see inconsistency between what you're professing with your mouth, what you've just sung to Jesus with your lips... The fact that you're sitting here with your Bible open in front of you right now, but then what you're going to do this afternoon at home, uh, all this week, uh, doesn't measure up with that. Well, they're seeing right through that. They'll see through that when they're four and five. Count on it. Is your lifestyle helping or hindering them from seeing Jesus? And, and to be honest with you, I haven't even mentioned some other things here. I'm dealing with the stuff that I feel like the majority of us might have struggled with or might be struggling with, but that, this is to say nothing of where parents who act just flat out devalue their children or abuse their children in some way. The room's large enough, enough people in the room, that there are likely some people in the room here and you are verbally abusing your children. The likelihood that some in this room might be physically harming their children while sitting in church here this morning. The fact that some might be sexually abusing their children and hindering them from seeing Jesus is a horror we don't even want to think about. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were cast into the sea than you should harm one of these little ones. Amen. I hope you feel rebuked if that's you. And I'm sure if it's anyone, it's a minority in this room. But it needs to be said. 
Jesus doesn't want us to hinder children from getting to him. That's the message. But that's kind of just the first part of it. Jesus, he's trying to stop the disciples from doing this, but, but then he's going to use this to communicate an even greater message. He's using the thing with the babies to say that he wants all of us, all of us, every person in this room to have unhindered access to Jesus Christ. What we often do to children, hindering them from coming, we actually hinder ourselves. We do things, we have habits in our own lives, we have values that we believe that hinder us from getting to Jesus Christ. So, ready for this? Now, four ways we hinder ourselves from seeing Jesus. Number one, uh, money. Money as the source of happiness and security. Even some of us who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, we still struggle with this. And in our career pursuit and in the way we save and in the way we invest. The way we work and kind of going after it, I need to work more. I need to get a better job. In the way that we give and handle our money, we still have it in our hearts and minds that happiness and security come because I have more money in my bank account. So many verses I could have cited here. Luke twelve fifteen says this, just the latter part of it. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Doesn't. Pursue it all you want. Nelson Rockefeller, one of the most wealthy men in U.S. history was asked the question, how much is enough? You know this, right? How much is enough? And he said, just one more dollar. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We hinder the ability to get to Jesus because we're so concerned with money. Secondly, education again comes up as the means to success. Study, study, study. I want you to put everything into this. You need to get this degree and another degree and achieve and high achievement. And that's not a bad thing. Academics are not a bad thing and doing well in school is not a bad thing. But when we see that as the means to success, when that becomes preeminent to following Jesus Christ and pursuing him with all of our heart, mind and strength, then we have a problem. Ecclesiastes 12.12, King Solomon just said this, of the making of books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. Weariness to the flesh. That's King Solomon. He was like generally considered to be one of the wisest men, or if not the wisest man who ever walked the earth. He says the, the end of that, education is the end, is a mistake. Third, Relationships. When we value relationships above everything else, when we're willing to jettison the truth of God's word for relationships. Now, relationships are important. Husband-wife relationships, parent-child relationships. These are important relationships. Friendship, loyalty is important. Mike's going to preach on that next week. Relationships are very important and God wants us to hold relationships in high esteem. But he does not want and he calls out when we value human relationships above the relationship we have with him and who he is. Jesus said it this way. This is one of the most shocking things Jesus ever said. Matthew ten thirty seven. He said, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Just let that soak in for a minute. 
If you love your father and mother, he goes on to say, by the way, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If in your parent-child relationship, if in your closest family, the people who are actually a DNA match for you, if you hold that in higher esteem than Jesus Christ, if it's family first to the exclusion of God at the center, and you're hindering the path to Jesus Christ. Then fourth, I just put this, religion as the way to God. And so many, so many verses that point us in this direction. That it's not about the ritual. It's not about the rites that we do. It's not about this gathering and serving and, and, and giving your offering. and all. It's not about the things that we do. All of those flow out of a love relationship with our God. They are not the means to get his attention or earn his favor. But so many people think that religion is the way. And unless we see that it was entirely the work of Jesus Christ that brings us into relationship with him, then we'll miss him entirely. Entirely the work of Jesus. Entirely a work of grace. All you have to do is believe. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Simplicity. And the clarity of the gospel message is what we're going for here. It's what Jesus is driving us toward. And finally, he just says, he says this, or hear this, uh, the, the appeal to this gospel message is urgent. It's an urgent appeal. G- Jesus drives the point home then in verse 17. You'll see this. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, to really get what's going on here, context is so important in our understanding of the Scriptures. To really get what's going on here, you have to look at what's happening before and what's happening after. As Luke crafted the Gospel, he was so careful, um, and, and Luke is probably the most chronological of the Gospels. He's so precise in his laying out of what happened. Just before, in verses 9 through 14, uh, you have this account, this parable that Jesus tells of a Pharisee, a religious leader, a very religious man, and a tax collector who was a despised member of their culture. Uh, These two are going to the temple and they're going to pray. Jesus tells the story that the Pharisee, he's all kind of pumped up about himself and, and he's vaunting his religiosity and all that he had done to earn God's favor. And so his prayer is very pious. In fact, his prayer is, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. That's a pretty awful prayer, right? Never pray this prayer. I'm glad I'm not as bad as that guy. I think sometimes we do this, maybe not in our intentional prayers, but we actually look at people and go, I'm sure glad I'm not that guy. God, aren't I great because I'm not that guy? The tax collector comes and kind of throws himself down and he knows he's that guy. He knows he's a sinner. He knows he's desperately in need. And he says simply to God, his prayer without regard for who's around him, the religious person, he doesn't care. He's have mer- he just says, have mercy on me, a sinner. He pleads with God for God's mercy in his life. And so Jesus tells them this parable. And they have in their mind now this Pharisee who thinks that he's got it all going on, that his works are earning him favor with God. 
And then right after this account in verses 18 through 25, we have this rich young man who comes to Jesus right after this incident with the children. This young man comes up to Jesus. He's wealthy. And he says to him, what do I have to do? He even frames his question concerning a relationship with Christ in terms of money. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy's all about money. Jesus says to him, knowing his heart, Jesus says to him, go and sell everything that you have and come and follow me. Now, it isn't that selling everything you have is required before you come to Jesus, but it it is that if anything is gripping your heart, you better make sure it's not in the way, that it's not a hindrance to you. That's why we talked about money as a hindrance. It was clearly a hindrance to this young man. And he went away, the text says, very sad because he had a lot. He wasn't willing to divest himself of it in order to follow Jesus Christ. He was a self-sufficient man. His confidence was in his wealth. So we have these two stories, these two things going on in the midst of it. These, These moms and these babies come. Jesus wants to make a point about what it means to truly be part of God's kingdom. What it takes to get God's kingdom. It takes an acknowledgement in contrast to the Pharisee, in contrast to the rich young man. It takes an acknowledgement that you are powerless to save yourself. You are powerless to impress God in any way. Sometimes when people look at this story of the babies coming to Jesus, the thing that they want to emphasize is the innocence of the child. Oh, when we come to Jesus, we just need to come innocently. When we come to Jesus, really what we're seeing here is just the simple faith of a child. If you've ever seen a child, they just so quickly obey Jesus. They quickly embrace him. And we saw that all this week at camp. The simplicity of faith in Jesus. It happened during the worship time. They're willing to bounce and to jump and to celebrate Jesus. But the older they get, the harder that is. Right? How many adults were willing to bounce and dance for Jesus during the service? Yeah, only a few. Because we're so mature. We're all grown up. We're not like the little children. And so we we look at their simple faith, the simple way that they embrace Jesus, and we think that that's the message. We need to come with simple faith, and that's not actually it. It's not about their innocence. It's not about their simple faith, though they do have that. It is this. It's that they're babies. These aren't just little children. The word here is infants. That's why the ESV uses the word. And babies are utterly dependent. My youngest is 17. It's been a while since I've had to actually care for a baby. But I do remember that they're utterly dependent. Can't feed themselves. When you first bring them home, they just lay around. Am I right? Do I remember that right? Just lay there. They can't walk. They can't communicate anything without crying. They eat and they poo. That's all they do. They're compl- they can't even change themselves. They don't use a toilet. 
They're completely and entirely dependent on us. They can't do anything for themselves. That's the point. The Pharisee thought he could. The rich young man thought he could. Jesus has these babies come. They're being carried to him. They can't even walk to Jesus themselves. They're being carried by their moms. They are completely dependent on Jesus Christ. And if you believe in God, but you are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can believe in God. You can believe that He exists and not be in relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, in the way that He prescribes that to happen. It is because you think you have it in it in you to be saved. You think you have it in you to make it to heaven on your own. You're independent. You're still relying on your own education, your own ingenuity, your own goodness, your own good works, your own whatever it is. You think all of that is, is what it's going to take. That God's going to be impressed with all of that. Well, he wasn't impressed with the Pharisee in the early part of Luke 18. And he wasn't impressed with the rich young man in the latter part of chapter 18. But in between those two stories, Jesus said you have to become like a child. You have to be dependent like a child. You have to know you don't have it in you. You see, if you don't see your dependency, if you don't come empty of yourself, you can't come. We live in a society today, in a culture where increasingly people don't like the exclusivity of God's kingdom. They don't like that. We live in this uber-inclusive culture where everyone is a winner. Everyone's in. Everyone gets a ribbon. Notions of a God who excludes anyone, those are rejected. People say, I, I couldn't believe in a God that would leave anyone out. Hell is being rethought even within the church. How can we believe in eternal separation from God? People don't want to believe it. Why? Because it's, 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 it flows out of exclusivity. Some are in and some are not. It's the thing that people struggle with. You know, people no longer believe the old temptation. You shall be as God's. You shall be like God. You shall be equal with God. People no longer believe the old temptation that they are equal to God, but they now believe they are better than God. Our culture believes. Canadian culture believes that it's better than God. Somehow he's failed if he's exclusive in this way. Somehow we have risen above in our values. We've risen above God. This is Jesus saying this. These are his words. 
He's the one preaching the exclusivity of the kingdom of God. Some are in and some are out. We can't reinterpret this to suit our own pragmatic circumstances. How do we plan on approaching God? It makes all the difference in the world. The message is urgent here. Unless you come dependently, unless you come empty of yourself, unless you come humble, unless you come knowing that you have come to the end of yourself, poverty of spirit, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3. Only a humble approach to God, only this approach to God will secure the relationship with Him that you want. So that's it. It's the simplicity of the gospel. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. It's simple. Seems clear to me. And there's an urgent message for you not to depend on yourself in any way in your approach to God. But to turn to Him in complete dependency and be like a child. Nothing at all hindering. Let's pray. As you put everything away and we just bow our heads here for a moment, I'm going to pray especially for those who do not yet have a relationship with God, though they, they may believe in Him. They don't know His Son, Jesus. They've allowed other things to hinder that. I want to pray for those right now and make an appeal to you to turn your life over to Jesus Christ this morning. Father, thank You so much again for this time in Your Word. Thank You for Your Word. As we've looked at it today, thank you for the simplicity of it, the clarity. And God, I pray that we would have a sense of, sense of the urgency of what we've heard. And God, I would pray for those in the room, especially who do not yet know you. And God, maybe they're relying on their own strength. Maybe they have some false notions about who you are and who you let in and who you don't. Maybe, God, they're counting on religion. Maybe they think a little bit of God's enough, that believing in you is enough. That being here this morning somehow counts toward it. The offering they gave or the service that they offered. God, I pray that they would see today that, I pray we would all see again, because it would be helpful for all of us to have this freshened up, that we need to come as children, as babies, completely dependent on you. bringing nothing of ourselves, literally crucifying it on the cross, dead to self and alive to you. So God, I pray for those who have not yet trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that today, this morning, right now, in this moment, they would call on the name of the Lord. Whoever would call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray that they would call out to you right now for the forgiveness of their sins and for the life that's offered through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Father, for all of us, we've heard a strong word today. I pray for parents and grandparents, for adult caregivers and influencers, for all those who teach and lead in our children and youth ministries. God, uh, the weight is heavy on our shoulders to ensure that we're not in any way hindering children from seeing Jesus. So God, help us all with this. It's a responsibility we bear together as a church.
to influence these little ones in your name, to literally take them to you for the blessing that only you can offer. God, thank you for hearing this prayer. Thank you for meeting with us here today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.